The worst horror movie I ever saw was fucking great. Hello and welcome to This May Hurt a Bit. My name is James Strayer and this is... John C. Myers. And we are a horror franchise podcast discussing each film in popular and not so popular franchises. And today we are discussing Damien, The Omen 2 from 1978. But most importantly, we have a guest with us today. She is a costume designer, a fashion historian. Most notably, her work can be seen in Scare Package 2 on Shudder, as well as various episodes of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. And her articles can be found in print and online in Fangoria. Jolene Marie Richardson. Hello, Jolene. Welcome. Hello. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Uh, Jolene and I met almost a year ago at the Overlook Film Festival in New Orleans. Yeah. And uh, we were standing in line for The Tingler, I believe, was it? Oh, nice. Yeah. From 1958. And uh, we all sat in seats in that theater with the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Dante, just like uh, an aisle over. And we were all hoping that we were sitting in a seat where we got buzzed and shocked. Did they actually wire it up to to do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They did about like, I think it was like 20 seats in the whole theater. So Mm -hmm. we didn't get any because we were right behind everybody from Fango and we wanted everybody else to get them. Yeah. So we didn't take those seats. That's fair. (laughs) But it was great because like people got shocked in their seats. Uh, There was one person who stood up and screamed and fainted and they had paramedics run in and and pull them out on stretchers and stuff. (laughs) It was very... uh, 1950s fun. It was fun. Um, That's great. uh, So yeah, folks, go to film festivals. You'll meet cool people and then have them on your podcast (laughs) a year later. But anyway, tell us a little bit about what uh, you've been up to lately. You are a fashion historian. You work on productions. I would like to hear about what it's like to work on The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, uh, being a fan of that show. What's what's a day on set like that? Oh gosh, okay. So um, I didn't do this last season. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a little too busy. And then with the strikes and everything, that kind of stopped a lot of stuff. It's a small production. Kind of, we call it like a little scotch tape (laughs) production. (laughs) But I got to do some really fun stuff on it. Like things that I never thought that I would ever do, like make a fart monster. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Whoever thought I would be turning all six feet of John Brennan into a fart monster. (laughs) Hey, mom, look, I'm working in the movies. (laughs) Living the dream. Yeah, Yeah, and that was a lot of fun. I got to collaborate with um, Ashley Thomas, our incredible makeup artist, who I've done other films with, who we met through The Last Drive-In on with that. So she made the mask out of a grocery store, like, plastic bag. Heck yeah. (laughs) And yeah, so that's, that's the level of like budget we're working with but it has that charm to it and i think that's why the fans love it because it it's okay that it doesn't have the the quality the budget you know like that's the whole shtick but um yeah it's a lot of fun and austin the director he owns that trailer that sits on the set so he brings it to set when we go to film and then he takes it to a storage unit somewhere and (laughs) Uh, oddly enough, I had a question. That <laughs> was the question I had. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it was like one of the last like Shasta's that huh. brand and, and model. So he was like, I'm just going to buy it. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, great, great little team. Um, met a lot of friends that team have then since gone on to work with those friends doing other projects like Cannibal Mukbang, which was written um, and directed by Amy Kuge, who is our BTS photographer. She's like a little bit of art department. She's kind of our catch-all yeah. on, the, on the last drive-in. And um, yeah, and then on that was Matt Weir, who's art director, art department on last drive-in. Deanna, who is kind of a catch-all. She was AD. She was, you know, a little bit art department. 
Um, Ashley and her partner, Alex, they do Yellow Moth SFX. Yeah, it's a great, great little, great little squad. That's fantastic. <laughs> and and you just shot a short. What Was it just before the strikes? Last year was a little bit mushy in my brain, but I know you were working on a short last yeah. year, right? Yeah, like literally wrapped at 5 a.m., got on a plane and went to Overlook. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that was it. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. I, I had to get up at six to take my cat to a vet appointment and I am exhausted. <laughs> I don't know how you get on a plane. I, <laughs> right. I, I kind of slept and then I was there to see my friend Ted Gagan, his film Brooklyn 45, and I was great, just great hoping that I was going to stay awake yeah. the whole movie. I was like, <laughs> Ted, I just... <laughs> I, I'm like, if I miss anything, just tell me what happens. <laughs> I made it. I made it through. But yeah, um, it, it's still in the post-production phase. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know where that's landed yet. But yeah, that's that'll hopefully come out soon about a vicious creature. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> in time for Overlook? I don't know if it's going to be in time for Overlook because it's in April and um, they're still... Oh, sure. Yeah, posting. Working. Yeah. Yeah, working. For sure. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Cool. Well, definitely keep us posted and we'll let everybody know where they can see that once Absolutely. it's online or going to festivals. Because, again, you should go to film festivals if you can. They're fun. Yeah. Yeah. They're a lot of fun. Uh-huh. And Overlook's not that expensive. No. And New Orleans is a pretty cheap city to get to. Yeah, nice. exactly. So it's a blast. What is your experience with the Omen franchise? Was this a new one for you? I'm sure you've seen the first one, I want to assume. Um, had you seen the sequel? Any of the sequels? Because that's kind of our shtick here. No. I hadn't seen any of them. Um, so I went, I, I, you, you sent me the podcast and I was watching and listening. And then it had been on my list. And I sure. think because everybody talks about the kills and I felt like I had seen the movie. Yep. But then the second one or the, the sequels, I knew there were sequels because I went to a thrift store years ago. I bought a book thinking it was just the first omen and being like, oh, I'm going to start reading this book. And yeah. it happened to be the fourth one. And I started it and I was like, I have no idea what's going on. And I put it away on the show. <laughs> I love how you baby become president. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love the idea that you got part four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, And I believe, you know, I, I haven't looked into it too much because I want to be surprised, but I believe that was a straight to cable film too. Probably. Like it's not yeah. kind of in the original. You got, you got the novelization of the straight to cable Part four. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, because I was trying to make it through because Grady Hendrix has that great paperbacks from Hell book. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to, mm-hmm. I love B horror movies. So I'm going to now read all of these really shitty B novels. Yeah. And so, like, I was like trying to make my way down the list. And I was like, oh, this has got to be on it. And it ha- I was like, I need to go back and get the first one now. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, did you like the first one uh, once I did. you caught up? Okay, great. Yeah. It was great. And this one is just as bonkers. And I just. They, they take themselves so seriously mm-hmm. and it's such a serious, like heavy film. And there are moments in there where you're like, what? Yeah, this one, this one, it's, it seems like it's a trend uh, in, in a lot of horror franchises for the second one to get a little goofy with it, whether intentional <laughs> yeah. or not. And this one definitely has some laugh out loud moments, frankly. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I'm still like a sucker for like the kind of ponderous religious stuff and like i i like that self-serious like you know we're all catholic we're all like we we have bible verses at our fingertips to Mm -hmm. explain everything i i just personally kind of dig that stuff so when you add in a little bit of uh slapstick elevator uh slasher humor (laughs) like i'm there for it as the kids say 
you know. Oh, yeah. 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 And nobody guilts you like the Catholics. I grew up <laughs> Italian Catholic, so nobody oh, yeah. guilts you like them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, this, uh, this film was directed by Don Taylor. He replaced the original director, Mike Hodges, and I wanted to look him up. And that guy directed Get Carter and Flash Gordon, which right. right there, that's an amazing resume going into The Omen Part 2. Yeah, and he, according to him, he was offered the first one and he turned it down because he didn't, he's not really interested in horror movies and particularly doesn't like religious movies. But the second one, he was in a position where he needed money. And the second one also, he also co-wrote the script uh, initially. It had a lot more to do with Damien and the corporation and their rise to power. And then the producer, Harvey Bernhard, who now has a writing credit, undercut him in a lot of ways, rewrote huge swaths of the script and, he claims he was he walked out right. on his own accord. The producer's like, no, we canned his ass. So, And the director that brought in, uh, Don Taylor, I was looking up his credits prior, and he did a ton of TV in the 60s and 70s. And so he had a reputation for doing the whole on time and under budget. So when you're working on the, yeah. the fast-paced schedule of a television production, I'm sure he's a go-to to like, okay, we gotta, we got to straighten this out. We're going to straighten out this feature film by bringing in a TV guy. Yeah, and that really uh, cheesed off Lance Henriksen, who I was surprised to see in this movie. Uh, Lance Henriksen, in an interview, uh, referred to him as a clumsy, non-artistic stuntman. <laughs> like, is he part of part of why he joined was to work with Mike Hodges. And he had this whole idea for his character being like a Vietnam vet who's like saw the worst stuff and was like, it's just screw this land. I'm going to become a Satanist to shepherd Damien along. And all that's just that's not bad. In the I could have done with a little so. bit more Lance Henriksen as as mentor. So starting off uh, with that fantastic music, as always, that uh, Goldstein score, uh, the older guy in a Jeep who it took me a second to realize who that was, but that's the archaeologist exorcist from the previous film motoring through a Middle Eastern country. And he meets up with a guy with a neckerchief. So with um, a neckerchief. <laughs> yes. So Jolene, can you yeah. please kind of explain the the wide swath? Is there an ascot, a neckerchief? I think they're kind of cool, actually. I don't know if I would want to pull one off, but uh, necessarily, but I think they're kind of neat. So neckerchiefs are, are what everybody's wearing in all of these movies, which is just like a bandana that you fold up and you tie around. It's got shorter strings uh-huh. versus like a cravat ascot. Jabot, which is all iterations of the necktie from different periods. So first you have the Jabot, which is that big ruffle thing. Think of like King Louis the Fourth, you know, all those guys. And then as we move into the 19th century, it's more of an ascot. It's cleaner. It sits like kind of under most formal wear, but then it could sit on top of tuxedos. And that's Uh. like the wider pieces of, um, you know, like the silks and the taffetas with those crazy patterns. They usually have like a dimple pin, like a pearl in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then that later then moves into the necktie. There's also versions of the cravat, which dandies used to wear, which were just six feet long pieces of linen that they would just wrap around their necks like Heck six yeah. times and then do this big bow. So those nice. are the differences. Oh, yeah. like Lenny Kravitz's giant scarf. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what was, what was the other one? Like a, a jabot? Jabot. Yeah. It's a French, it's, it's a cravat essentially, but it's just, um, it's ruffled front. How is that spelled? Uh, J-A-B-O-T. Oh my God, Jim, that is the name of the cosmetics company on Young and the Restless. You're right. <laughs> really? Jimbo <laughs> Cosmetics. Victor Newman. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So, I, as soon as you said that, my eyes like lit up like <laughs> that, Victor that Newman. That is a childhood memory. Uh, sorry, we're big, we're big yeah. Victor Newman fans yeah. here. But I will say about the neckties is what I noticed in the first film is that 
that character is wearing them in every scene up until the moment before his death. He's wearing one when he dies, but it's almost like a, a red herring of like, you keep looking at his neck, keep looking at his neck. And then the scene oh, before oh. he doesn't have it on when uh-huh. he goes to um, tell him that his wife has died. And then, so we're not really like noticing it. And then the next scene, he has a very flesh tone one and then kablam. Oh, interesting. I wouldn't have picked up on that at all. Okay, cool. Well, cool. That's all we needed. So thanks so much for joining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, so like, but but it's fair to say that like, you know, so a neckerchief is just going right on the neck. Everything else is just like below the collar, you know, below like yeah. more yeah, so on were- the shirt garment then. Kind of, sort of. So they were all being affixed to the neck, but an, what makes a neckerchief different is just that it, it is just like a bandana that's just tied around the neck. <laughs> right. Okay. It's, it's more of like a, a, a decorative piece. It doesn't really do anything for the the garment, really. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Just makes you look awesome. Just makes you look like Ken. Because <laughs> when James sent me that, I, I sent him a gif of Ken from Toy Story 3. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so what is, be, being a, a historian, is there something about the neckerchief like if you're attacked by the devil or worried about being attacked by the devil, why should you seek out someone with a neckerchief? Because <laughs> that seems to keep I happening. I don't know, but there was a huge resurgence of it in the 70s because we did have a Victorian 19th century revival into, in clothing um, with like peasant dresses, peasant shirts. So like this dandyism was coming back. We were redefining what masculinity was at the time and that was coinciding with fashion. So the neckerchief did come back into fashion because of that. Love it. <laughs> this this gentleman with said neckerchief, Michael, he is being informed by Carl that Damien is definitely the Antichrist. There are four faces of the Antichrist on his rise to power. The face of Yigail Satan as a child is the same. The same? What are you talking about? There is no doubt. Damien Thorne is the Antichrist. We come to realize this is just picking up a week after the previous film. Carl hands Michael a trunk and basically says, hey, there's a letter in this. you got to get it stateside right away. This explains everything. Um, and I can kind of understand Michael's hesitance to just be like, how do I go at people and just say, no, this this is literally the Antichrist. So I, I, I sympathize with them here. Well, they go they go and they check out the wall because he doesn't he just kind of doesn't believe him. He's like, trust me, I've seen this wall. Yagale's wall. We found it. It's such a big deal. Looks like Damien. Look right here. Who we find out in the interim is no longer right. with the president. The last one ends. He's with the president and they decided to write that out of the way. Give him, uh, he's now living with Robert Thorne's brother, Richard, who we'd never heard about before, yep. but that's fine. So they go to check out Yagale's wall and you get this cool little Tomb raider sequence revealing that the, the painting does indeed look like Damien and then it collapses mm-hmm. on everybody. Rip to and, those two uh, guys. Yeah, it was a horrible way to die. Like all the deaths in this are pretty like protracted. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, much more like Final Destination-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're getting buried in sand and he's like praying about how the devil will be overcome and the devil's like, yeah, eat sand, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got a great voice for that too when he's delivering. Oh yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Leo McKern. And that's, that picture on the wall is so pristine and so beautiful. I had to mm-hmm. laugh at how, yeah. <laughs> how great. And then it grows. Like it actually matures with Damien when it's matures when we see it again at the end of the film. <laughs> oh, good call. Yeah. yeah. Right. I was like, wait, wasn't he a baby? Yeah. And, and maybe this will come up in the next one, but like no one bothered to take a photo right. of it at right. all. It was just like, said. we just have this wall. And it was great that you brought that up because I spent like the first 10 minutes of the film being like, wait, I thought he was living with the president. But okay, so that was a detail at the end of the first one. I'm not crazy. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, at least he was, right. he was with the president at the funeral and like with the first lady and they're holding his hand. So it seemed pretty 
That right. was the inference anyway, but I guess they just went, well, no one will remember that. <laughs> yeah. And, and evidently one of the early scripts had Damien like still being seven or eight years old or something, but growing up in the White House with the president. Right. Which is what they too. did kind of in Good Omens where they, they accidentally switched the kids, but they tried to give the Antichrist to the president in that book. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Nice. Um, we cut to Chicago seven years later, and I do love Damien's introduction here. He's walking towards us from far off camera with a uh, leaf fire pit right in front of camera. And evidently, this is one of the scenes that uh, the former director took a solid half day to film. I say it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I just like it because it's it's just sort of announces right off the bat. Like, were you expecting any subtlety in this movie? <laughs> nope. Like, here's this is the this is the son of the devil. We're just going with that. There's no mystery about it. Here we go. He is dressed in a military uniform. So the rest of this film takes place uh, largely at a military academy. So you might as well put the son of Satan right into the military, make him learn some discipline. I get it, I suppose. I guess. <laughs> the son of, like, I, I don't know. If I was the son of Satan and I found out I was the son of Satan while at a military academy, I'd be pissed. Right. Like, why am I at military school? <laughs> right. That sounds like Protestant work ethic. Like, let me be a lazy bum and just control stuff. <laughs> right. Why, right. Why, why where, where does he get his like decadent teenage years? Uh, as, yeah. Like, you know, kind of like a, almost like a Hellraiser type of kid, yeah. you know? Um, so uh, Damien says goodbye to his Aunt Marion, who I was convinced for the first few seconds that she was the receptionist from Beetlejuice in the afterlife. She is. She She's is. You know, the caseworker. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, see, like, I must have gone down the incorrect IMDb <laughs> holes because for the rest of, well, for the rest of her life, I kept yeah. saying, like, hey, it's totally her, but mm -hmm. I was wrong. Yeah. Okay. Or like for Mars Attacks, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I had, the, I had the thought, I had the same thought when uh, uh, I was a kid watching Tales from the Dark Side with William Hickey and being like, I bet he gets typecast as a lot of old people. <laughs> where I'm just like, yeah, has she ever not been old? Because right. I just only know her from that. But yep. no, she's yep. had a long illustrious career. But mm -hmm. she just, and it's also because like she's as old, she looks as old in like 1978 as she does in Mars Attacks. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what? And Beetlejuice. Later. But I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm now fully convinced that Beetlejuice is in the Omen canon because she died. She becomes a caseworker. There you go. Yes. Honest <laughs> for wearing suits. Mm -hmm. Like she's, you know. There right. you go. Right. I like that. <laughs> um, the, the uncle sees Damien off as well as his cousin, who is holding a trumpet. Um, just, I guess he just carries, we find out later that he marches in a marching band, but I thought that was a funny introduction of him just carrying a trumpet around. Um, yeah, I was waiting for him, like, this is your this is your cousin Gabe, or something like that, you know, like, yeah. I'm tied to being an angel or something. Totally, yeah. This kid's name is Mark, and he is encouraged to go back to say goodbye to uh, Mary, and Mary tells Mark, I know you've been so busy running after that cousin of yours. You mustn't let him drag you around the way he does. He doesn't drag me around. I like him. Give me a hug. You be careful. She is very skeptical of Damien from the outset. We're told a lot in this movie. We're told a lot about Damien being bad rather than seeing it. Yeah. There's just a lot of like people don't trust him. But, well, look at him. Didn't he give you the creeps? I mean, there is a little bit of that. I suppose. I mean, no more than any other child. Uh, but yeah, like particularly at this beginning, you're you're you. She just gets bad vibes from him. But Damien just seems like a kid. Yeah. Other than walking behind fire, he seems yeah. right. I really thought I thought he was going to go straight through that fire. I was I was yeah. like, we're coming right out the gate. Going right exactly. through that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, he still <laughs> has a British accent. 
And yeah, he, he only lived in England with American parents for like a couple years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he should be full, full blooded American at this point. Yeah. yeah, damn it. Especially if he's going into politics. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I think it's a put on because like that's really annoying. Yeah, and that seems like something the devil would do. Where you're like, <laughs> he's going through a phase. Why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> we don't tell kids they can't go through the phases now. Right. You know, just like yeah. just talk with your dumb. It's accent. all the princes of hell do this. <laughs> <Right>. Just. Like, <laughs> At dinner that night, uh, Aunt Marion threatens to not leave her shares in the business, equaling $100 million to Richard, the uncle, unless, you know, he does what she says. And that demand is to separate the boys and uh, pull him from the military academy. She wants them completely separate. And uh, Marion ends up screaming at Richard. I may be old, but I'm not insane. Your brother tried to kill Damien. Get out! Will you tell her to go? I'm going. I was excited that they just addressed that early on, especially because it's a family piece. Like, you do realize that the father of this child, like, tried to murder him at the end of the last film. No glossing over. No, and this this is also where we're introduced to, uh, in this sequence, to uh, Lee Grant is Anne Thorne, Damien's uh, adopted mother of sorts. And also... His cousin's adopted mother. We we eventually learned that she is not biologically related to any of them. But she Lee Grant is fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good energy and and some great outfits. I was I was particularly oh, having yeah. knew we were having a, a, a fashion person on. I figured like I should pay attention to that more than I do. <laughs> uh, but there were a lot of her clothes uh, that I was like those. Those are pretty sweet. That one, like towards the end, she's wearing this like green. I don't know if it's a house dress or something, but I'm like, I just want a snuggie of that. That would yeah. be great. Just to <laughs> lounge so, around the house so many pashminas, so many like capes. She's got like a whole animal on her at one point with yes. the hat yeah. and the cop. It's and I love her face every time somebody refers to her as well. You're the second wife. She gets this like really sour Ooh. face. Like stop, yes. stop reminding me. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I didn't realize she is in Mulholland Drive. Um, oh, is she's she? a bit part. She is like the woman that like comes to the when when Naomi Watts is moving into the new apartment or her aunt's apartment or whatever. She's the one that's like at the door. It's like something's going on here, and she's wearing oh, like a black hood. Okay. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, Louise Bonner is is the character's name apparently, but that's Lee Grant. Nice. After Marion leaves, Richard agrees with his wife uh, that he'll kick Marion out in the morning, which just seems cruel, but okay. He's the lord of the manor here. Uh, He's got $100 million to land on. I think she'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They watch a bunch of slides in the next room. Uh, You know, uh, typical 1970s vacation slides here. Now, I kind of like creepy archaeological digs, so if somebody invited me over to see that, I'd be kind of into it, but the setup did make me kind of laugh. Uh, Maybe this is like an antiquated idea at this point in 2023. You don't go over and watch slides or... People don't make you look. It's more like, look at this thing on my phone, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everyone come over and look at my Instagram page with me. <laughs> but so, yeah, this is this is about the dig that the the aforementioned dig that was happening. And they they encountered all of uh, uh, these artifacts, including and they've already brought this up already. The uh, the statue of the whore of Babylon. Mm-hmm. It's really a tell right at the beginning, because anytime they mention the horror of Babylon, they immediately cut to Lee Grant and yeah. she goes like, Oh, or mm, sounds nasty. And it's like, okay, you're always showing Lee Grant right after you say horror of Babylon. Take that Lee. Grant. I got, Poor Lee. Yeah. Grant. Well, Gosh. I think it just, I think for what the plot is supposed to be, it's supposed to tie in later, but yeah, it, which we'll get there. I get didn't there. pick up on the first watch, but yeah, well, it's also funny. Cause mm-hmm. I, I like the horror of Babylon is supposed to mean many different things to some people. It's, it's, the Pope in Rome and Catholicism in general. So people, it's, it is just Rome. It's just all these cities. And in this one, it's like, no, it's a, it's a lady. Yeah. <laughs> it's like on the Agel's wall. There's a the painting of the whore Babylon be shopping. Yeah. Uh, right. That's how, that's how you can tell. <laughs> right. 
They, uh, Marion awakes in fright from her bed. She's got a Bible resting on her chest. Uh, and there is a rather ominous crow at, at her feet in the bed. Uh, and then she grows in pain and gets out of bed and stumbles towards the crow and ends up falling over as if by stricken by a heart attack. Yeah, a crow looked at her so hard she died. <laughs> hey, it's a crow of Satan. Uh, I guess it's it's a little less of a powerful enemy than a dog. Yeah, that's true. Because dog has that physical threat, and then already like we've we've gotten rid of any sort of s- subtlety of is this actually happening? Is Damon in control of this? To like, no, a bird looked at a lady and killed her. <laughs> Although, so again, we're just like abandoning that, which is fine. Yeah, that's fine. They're just going. They're going big with it. Totally. Yeah. It's it's. This is where you start to do the the thing that we talked about in the last episode. Is like, is this directly? At Damien's behest, is this kind of like just evil looking out for him? It's a little mm-hmm. uncertain. Cut along to the uh, military academy where Damien and Mark are marching along. And hell yes, Lance Hen- Henriksen is their new platoon officer. Thorne, your family's got strong connections with this place, hasn't it? Well, hasn't it? My father and grandfather were cadets here, sir. Good. But understand that doesn't entitle you to privileges. We're all the same here. I mean, we've waxed on about how much we love Lance Henriksen before. He is just absolutely horror royalty. Last seen in our show, uh, uh, Pumpkinhead. Um, Pumpkinhead. But uh, not given a whole lot to do here. But as you mentioned, uh, his role got a little bit uh, cut down with the new director. Yes. Sad. But he's definitely got the face for a uh, a satanic guardian, you know, as, right. as the previous uh, nanny did in the in in part one. That is not a slam on Lance Henriksen whatsoever. <laughs> no. as, He's as a very handsome before, satanic general. I love race. that man. <laughs> I love that man and his pumpkin head. Um, <laughs> so back in Chicago, we're on the same street where the uh, truck flips in the dark night. Don't know if you men- saw saw that, but that's the main street no. of the big truck stunt in the dark night, the second Nolan Batman film. Wow. I recognize it because... I recognize the building in the background. I had my picture taken there once. Uh, I, I was very excited. <laughs> Were you flipped over as well? Uh, uh, by the end of the night, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then finds uh, Marion's body, and she looks like she is truly just frozen in fear, just uh, fingers clenched and everything. Mm-hmm. Richard meets up with his business bros, and they take a walk through a, a plant. And And at this point, I'm just like, you know, what does this have to do with Satan? What does this have to do with religion it slowly starts to make sense but i'm a little like what did y'all think of the almost early 80s feeling corporation big business type of tie-in with uh with the devil it was very unclear at first because i didn't know what the business was because i was like there's just all these pools and i was like Mm -hmm. is it aquaponics like what are we doing and then a lot of it looked like i don't know if if, if either of y'all been to epcot and been on spaceship earth because of the time period, a lot of the characters look like the like future communication scene with those like blinking light boards and the, <laughs> nice. you know, uh-huh. and the lab coats and everything. Yeah. So it was a uh, it was interesting. We we spend a lot of time there, yeah. and it's, it's eventually supposed to like fold into the because this is the Thorn Company. That this is going to be what Damien is taking charge of. And there's people working behind the scenes to to push stuff along but they yeah they spend a lot of time with this and there's a lot of corporate intrigue that seems parallel to the rest of the story mm-hmm. until the end and particularly they were introduced to i believe his name is is paul that's a new hire there it's like a new vp of some sort who's really pushing the idea that well so we're big into electronics and um energy 
But what if we focus instead on starving people? <laughs> like it took me for a while to figure out what his plan was. Cause I'm and I'm still at a hundred percent clear. Cause it involves like buying big chunks of land in other places to do big agricultural stuff. But he pitches it always as our profitable future aside from energy lies also in famine. What? He's being honest. You're a bad salesman, like yeah. abundance, something good. But he's like, no, no we're going to starve people and it's going to be awesome. Well, yeah. I wonder if they use that word too because of the, what is it, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Like there's famine, there's war. I wonder if that, t- that ties in. I think that, you're right. Yeah. I think it's supposed totally to. Because they, they totally specifically said famine. Right. Good call because I when you know it's not that I hear the word famine every day, but when I do, <laughs> right. I do think of that kind of biblical idea. It's yeah. not just starvation; it's famine. Right. That's mm-hmm. a really good call. I didn't even think about that, but I think that that does make sense. What are the other three horses? Is it well? There's there's as she said, there's war, and then there's um, pestilence right. and um, doc. Uh, sleepy. Yeah. yeah. What is the fourth I, one? Uh, I don't. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm Someone's Google yelling that. at us right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't Probably that fourth horseman. <laughs> right. You forgot me again. Yeah. It's like that scene in Seinfeld where they're like Pavarotti and this guy and the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think it's. I think it's. De- it's death. Yeah. It's just. just plain it's old just death. death. It's, it's plain old death. Oh yeah. Well, death, famine, war, yeah. and the conquest of glory. Nice. Okay. Well, yeah, that that makes a lot more sense to me now. But I I still feel like I mean I'm just not a that big of a fan of like corporate espionage type of movies or or that kind of stuff. But like I I feel like there was a little bit too much of this in here, and but at the same time I can definitely see where they're going for the whole like corporations in bed with politics angle since the omen is so based on raising the devil up through politics and so we got to right. make a, a detour here over at large corporate stuff sure and it's like attempting that that tie to um you know the evil of corporations and the stuff they're doing um this, these men just casually talking about famine right but i think it's it's perhaps was was bigger in the in the original version of the script because mm-hmm. it seems lost in the shuffle and a lot of this same thing with the with the war stuff yeah so you just end up with these like i said these parallel storylines yeah Yeah. back at the uh academy another cadet jokes about how damien's family and you can you in this scene like you can already tell that damien is a little bit full of himself just the way he carries Mm -hmm. himself um maybe confident maybe overconfidence i i I can't tell but uh he meets with lance henriksen who states i'm here to teach you but also i'm here to help you any problems you come to me don't be afraid, day or night. Any advice, you understand me? And that's when it becomes that, uh, apparent that Lance is our new kind of uh, nanny character from the previous film. Outside, Teddy the bully is beating up Mark in front of everyone, and Damien comes out, and they have a stare down uh, that is powered by that Jerry Goldsmith score. Just a lot of eyes close up, back and forth with that music swelling. And uh, Damien does end up telepathically flinging Teddy into a door right in front of a room full of cadets, which, you know, if we're going by exorcist rules, this is some uh, vulgar display of power early yeah. on, you know, in front of in front of everybody. Um, well, I also wonder how much, like, Carrie influenced this as well. Uh, oh, there you like, go. I just think, because it's just, because it's happened in so many other movies that we've done so far where like, there's this telekinetic aspect that really wants to pull from Carrie that had like, that was just happening. Mm-hmm. And so for like, ah, oh, what if we put some peanut butter in the chocolate and have these two taste great together? But yeah, he, he, he mentally beats up this kid. And uh, then Lance Hendrickson is like, does not care. Basically. Yeah. He's like, what are you polishing the floor? <laughs> 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 That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I do like thinking about Damien as as Carrie, though, especially from from the time because Carrie would have been what seventy six. Yeah, so they would have had a little bit of time to to kind of be yeah same year as Alvin. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark is shocked and knows that Damien did something to him, but he doesn't know what exactly happened. As Richard is leaving uh, his apartment one morning, a woman in an absolutely killer red coat <laughs> comes running up to him, and this is Ms. Joan Hart. Uh, she was reporting on Carl, the archaeologist, and evidently he was also an exorcist. Um, evidently they found Carl's skeleton from the dig, but most important of all, she worked with David Warner. So, you know, she's all right in our book. That's right. Richard immediately has her tossed out of the car. Um, So Joan Hart was referred to in earlier scenes, and now we get to see her in all her glory. Well, apparently that that actress, Elizabeth Shepard, had talked to and worked with Mike Hodges about this character, particularly that dress, and they drew it from, he was a big Edvard Munch fan. Mm. And so uh, that was a a reoccurring theme in a lot of his pictures there was, or paintings, there was a figure in a red dress, woman in a red dress kind of in the distance. And so he wanted that, that, striking view particularly because how muted uh, all the other yeah. things that she just like pops right up and some of it's also and we'll get i'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later but the, she's a cartoon oh <laughs> like yeah. she's a ridiculous <laughs> huge person and i love it yeah yes. but so it's like having this very primary colored person just just show up in this sea of beiges oh yeah mm-hmm. especially when she walks into the the football field and it's just her that's all you see is yeah. her <laughs> and then she stands next back. to the man in the black suit and it's just her yeah yeah <laughs> And, and I guess the, the Harvey Bernhardt hated that dress, just hated that dress. Really? But she, mm. Yeah. But she's like, no, I'm, I love it. It's great. He must have not been on board for that whole, like, you know, the, the pop of color in the sea of beige. Yeah. yeah. You know? And it could also just be like, well, I screw that guy in any ideas that he had. <laughs> oh, that um, so she <laughs> right. had just shown up and we haven't mentioned it all that Richard Thorne is played by William Holden. Okay. He's a great, you know, classic leading man actor. So just Damien, just plugging through these guys. Yeah. All of Audrey Hepburn's men. She, he's just eliminating all oh these my God, men yeah. who worked with Audrey <laughs> Oh, to get to Aubrey Hepburn. I get, I get it. Now. I get it. <laughs> Roman Holiday, Gregory yeah. Peck was in Roman Holiday. William Holden was in Sabrina. Yeah. Uh-huh. There you go. So he's just like, <laughs> Audrey Hepburn will be mine. <laughs> See, John Hinckley, that's how you impress an actress. Or, I mean... Devil's got good taste, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, who doesn't love Audrey Hepburn? <laughs> but I guess I guess uh, Holden uh, was approached to be in the first one. He's like, nah, I don't do that Satan crap. <laughs> but the first one made a lot of money, and so he was like, I will no, absolutely do that, do that Satan crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there a paycheck in this? Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So funny. At the museum, uh, Joan Hart runs into Anne and wants to know about Damien. Someone comes screaming up that Richard is furious and she needs to leave and I do love how she just screams. I've seen you Gail's wall. I don't care what you've seen. You must care. Damien. What about Damien? I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure why I'm so afraid of him yeah. yet. <laughs> that was weirdly like realistic to me. It was it was very odd because yeah, so Anne is there talking to the guy in charge of the the museum, or it's going to be in charge of the Thorn Museum. He's all excited to tell her about Yagale's wall. Uh, and I just like where where she's like, uh, who is Yagale? He's like, a fascinating guy. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh got a big kick out of that. And her hat looked like a bonbon. So the whole time I just <laughs> just looking at her great hat. Yeah. This So Joan breaks in and is like, well, I'm going to talk to you now about Damien. Yes. Like your husband kicked me out, but I'm going to try to ingratiate myself with you. And while that guy leaves to go, fight, you know, deal with this or whatever. I like she's talking. And then she's like, your husband is a little unfair on the press. They were very kind to his brother. Were they? I never knew his brother. 
That's right. You're Richard Thorne's second wife. Mm-hmm. He's really crappy. Well, like, oh, you're just the side piece. Right. <laughs> yes, I was really mean. Uh, right. Yeah. And then when she when the guy comes back and he's like, well, I've heard what's been going on and you need to get out of here. She's like, no, your lives are in danger. You, you've got to be afraid of Damien. Why? I don't know if the idea is that Anne is supposed to like zap her with some eye beams because it cuts to Anne and Anne's kind of looking at her. But then she's immediately like, oh, got to go. Right. And leave. But there's don't really like they don't underline it enough to make you even question really whether that happened i had to, i didn't i had to go back and rewatch it a couple of times oh as if Anne like shut that down yeah if Anne hours. somehow like vibed her out right or if, or if uh she was just like i've forgotten yeah i'm sorry i got really <laughs> ahead of myself or again kind of like what you're saying everybody says damien's bad but we don't know why he's bad yet so she's right. just like i think this is terrible why i haven't seen him do anything yeah, well, they already think I, they already think I'm kind of goofy. If I say I saw a picture of him that yeah. he looked like a picture of a devil that looked like him, are they going to really buy it? But right. it, it convinced her, so probably sure. You know. She uh, then she goes to the football p- field, as you were mentioning before, and uh, locks eyes with Damien, who takes off his helmet, and they just sort of like gaze at each other with that gold scene score. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's that's great because it's like so she she can't get information about Damien from Richard. So she, she tries the wife. That doesn't work. So she tries. OK, fine. I'm just gonna go right to the source, finds out where Damien is somehow. And then I think it's supposed to be the like, oh, my God, look at his face. That's the guy from Miguel's wall. But it just looks like she has seen the hottest team she has <laughs> ever seen. Like you could you could either put a Dreamweaver underneath it right. or a bunch of Tex Avery sound effects. <laughs> and the effect is pretty much the same. Both. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like going. Yeah. But the the, the Goldsmith uh, theme yeah, kind of undercuts that unless, you know, it's, it's it's a little bit evil. Yes. She flees, but her car stalls out on a country road and that ominous crow is back and uh, on top of her car and totally ends up pecking her eyes out. Very birds Hitchcock yeah. style. Yeah. Well, it, in, in fact, Robert Barrick uh, was the bird wrangler. Uh, on this movie, the same guy who did the birds. Uh, this is again, a uh, uh, shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. There were, there were three different birds. <laughs> there was windy, Aww. the bird who was trained to fly onto a branch. He was the long distance bird, uh, <laughs> according to her. Um, and then uh, there was Tuffy who was trained to land on black hair and peck at her eyes repeatedly. And meat boy uh, who was trained to land on black hair and peck out eyes only once. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Wait, what are the three names again? Uh, Windy, Tuffy, and Meat Boy. I, man, I love yeah. that. God. <laughs> yeah, those are like Mad Max villains. Yeah. <laughs> but that is, that is from a, an interview with Lee Gambin wow. um, that, that she gave. Uh. She, yeah, she talked about that. And that it was a little harrowing, but uh, yeah, it was fine. So these things are attacking her. And this, is a, this scene is ridiculous. This isn't the yes. best like, kill of the entire movie. <laughs> it's so funny because, yeah, she's, she's getting attacked by these birds. And it's all very kind of comical and huge because some of it's also... <laughs> Just get back in the car. Right. Just get in the car. But you know, you're freaking out. You're being attacked by birds. And and finally, like she stumbles and and falls into a ditch. Again, still wearing that same amazing red dress. Oh, yeah. Birds fly away. She kind of wakes up, kind of comes to, and then gets hit by a truck. <laughs> kind of. Like I'm not clear what happens because <laughs> the truck approaches her. And so you're like, okay, it's like any other scene where you've seen this happen. But Gage Creed, uh, the, yeah. the you know, uh the guy from Text Chainsaw Massacre going to hit him it apparently has like a cow catcher on the front or something because it just 
flings her up and it hits the top of the back of the the trailer of the semi. It's so good. It's I watched that. I rewound that a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. It was just beautiful. And again, like that makes no sense. But they went for it, and hell yeah, they really did. And just like the beats of all of it, of of her leaving yes. the car, of her swatting it, because first it takes her hair down, and then it yeah. throws her into the ditch. So she's rolling around in the ditch. Right. She's got like giallo blood eyes. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, and then you see the wig come off of the mannequin as soon as it hits the back of that truck, and then it mm-hmm. runs over the head when it goes under yes. the wheel. Yes. And then it kind of reinflates. It like deflates and reinflates with the, with the wheel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was insane. Yeah. It's uh, it's so good. But that coat yeah, held that, up. So buy that coat. The coat, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Costume department's like, uh, we need to take that back to the store that we got. <laughs> right. We can return this and, and make our budget yeah. back. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's just been lightly run over. Yeah. That, that, that got some hooting and a hollering for me as I was uh, sitting on the couch watching that. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Sometime later, the snow is falling and there's a nice family snowball fight with Richard, uh, Damien and Mark. And it's kind of like one of those like, see, they're all normal type of scenes. Mm-hmm. Cut to at Mark's birthday party. Uh, Bill tells Paul that his land plan is unethical. And he is uh, still trying to figure out how all this fits in. And again, I do like Paul's jacket in this scene. It's like this big kind of fluffy guy with this like white trim. It's fantastic. Paul invites Damien to the plant. And I do like in this, uh, again, like how they styled Damien. And I, I, I might've mentioned this even if we didn't have Jolene on, because I, I just like the idea of not like styling the Satan boy in like all black necessarily. He's got this great white sweater on. And I thought that yeah. was a great choice. Well, I comfy love- Satan. I love knit symbolism in horror. I talk about this all the time, especially when they put it on villains because wool is made from sheeps. So you literally have a wolf in sheep's clothing. Oh, on, on oh there you go. <laughs> nice. I yeah. love that. Nice. Yeah. Okay. What are, what are some other like uh, villains throughout horror history that might have that? Like, um, so we see it on Pamela Voorhees. In first okay. Friday the Thirteenth, um, we sure. see it on Chris Evans actually in Knives Out, not horror, but that oh, that you yeah, yeah. like the cable sure. knit because it's soft and it's cozy, so it's very di- knits can be very disarming when you use them the right uh, mm-hmm. way. Yeah, right. Okay, nice. Yeah, now I'm just thinking about Chris Evans' sweater, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, that's a comfortable sweater. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and didn't that get a lot of popularity online after that? Like it everybody did. freaking like loved that sweater, you know, yeah. more than the movie. Yeah. yeah. So Paul is trying to talk with Damien here and just saying suspicions of destiny. We all have them. Your uncle has, I'm sure. And Bill Atherton and myself. A deep, wordless knowledge that our time has come. Uh, it's just two men knowing that they're going to be awesome for no real reason at all. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just like, okay. I it, was, it was a little bit, some of it was a little like, uh, do you like movies about gladiators? But um, uh, you, you start to get the sense that, yeah, so this guy, not only is Lance Henriksen trying to help this guy out, but this, he's got a guy there as well, which makes you wonder, like, do they know each other? Mm-hmm. Are they working together? Why do you need this if you have a crow that can kill someone by looking at it? Yeah, like some of the more supernatural stuff sort of uh, undercuts some of like the, the the machinations of people at work, which I which I really like. Mm-hmm. I like that element of like that there are acolytes everywhere, kind of doing some stuff. Right, but it it does seem like oh yeah, we need to tie in that corporate piece to this whole yeah. thing. So yeah. 
we'll just have him kind of kind of talk to the guy. And because th- I think also some of it, a thing that was cut out of Mike Hodges version was there's going to be a lot more of Damien struggling with who he who he is. See, yeah, we'll get to that one. But that that was a big thing for me. Yeah. All the party guests are playing hockey on a pond and uh, uh-oh, that ominous crow is back and he starts calling. There's a great bit of score here where it just sounds like a deep crow call. Just like, yeah, it's, an it's almost instrument. like a ribbit, yeah. like a synth ribbit. <laughs> right. Techno frog. Techno yeah. frog, yeah. Um, Damien and Bill go for a loose puck, but I love this bit there. You can see Paul just holds Damien back and won't let him go for the loose puck. And unfortunately, Bill goes through the ice and there is some really I I just think that the the shots of him underneath the ice flowing are like pretty rightly disturbing. Like that's yeah. really effective to me. I don't have a particular phobia of being under ice necessarily, but don't want to do it. But just the idea of like being stuck yeah. is Well, that's that's like the top millennial fears, right? Like getting caught under ice, quicksand. And like obliteration in like a city. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. So poor Bill stuck underneath the ice. Can't get out. Banging on Yeah. It. And he's like, the current is carrying him. So he's like, he's almost like oh. on an escalator of or yeah. just a conveyor belt under the ice, which I thought was just terrible. Cause I just keep trying to catch up to him until someone finally gets the bright idea to move up. ahead. But yeah, just terrifying. And I guess it was pretty dangerous to shoot on that. Cause it's you're shooting be. on a on a yeah. lake of ice and you're like okay let's hope this all works out and we don't with our heavy cameras and stuff like that we don't just crash through ourselves it was a bunch yeah. of kids yeah and they kept shooting they kept like yelling for an axe and i all i could think of was like somebody's gonna put the axe into the ice and it's gonna just obliterate him yes yeah right or take out like everybody who's surrounding you right know? um Gosh. But fortunately, that doesn't happen. And he yeah. just dies. He just dies. <laughs> not everybody else. <laughs> yeah, he um, just gets swept away by the current. Next, Richard promotes Paul, like right there as the new president. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he just says, you know, Richard and uh, Ann and I are just out. We're going on vacation. Yeah. Screw you guys. We've had enough of this. Yeah. I mean, a good friend of yours just died in the ice. You're like, we need to take some time away from ice. <laughs> I need uh, me time. <laughs> yeah. Time has passed in the next scene, and Paul's already on the cover of Fortune magazine. He's immediately been looking for land costs uh, about his famine project, and uh, Richard, who is freshly back from vacation, is not having this. He's pretty pissed about it. Cut to Damien is in history class, and he gets called out by the teacher and asks him questions about Napoleon's army, which Damien answers perfectly, and he then is quizzed rapid fire on all the different... uh, major historical death uh, throughout history, which was a pretty cute scene, I thought. And I think that's like actually based on a, a biblical sequence where there's like a son of Satan who's being like quizzed over like historical aspects of Jesus or something like that. I need to look more into that. Yeah, see, I, a lot of my my Bible knowledge is, um, well, not there, but also like I get confused between like what's actually in the Bible and what's like Paradise Lost, which is basically, you know, just Bible fan fiction. Oh, sure. So- yeah, it's like, wait, is that true? Well, true yeah. is, you know, is that what they what they said? Because particularly because uh, it's not too long after this. Well, it's the result of this where Lance Henriksen is like, hey, pulls him aside and is like, you, stop it. Yeah. You got to you got to lay low <laughs> because people you don't want to draw too much attention to yourself. So people know that you, you know, you're not as powerful as you think you are. Read the book of Revelations. That's going to tell you who you are. That is like the most opaque, like, how do you read that book and go like, aha, yeah. I get it now. I guess <laughs> yeah. if you're the son of the, the devil, maybe it's just, you know, like, oh, I actually know what this means. Right. It, something just speaks to me. But it's also like, if you, you could have just not have him be the, you know, the son of a, 
most powerful guy that would get a lot of attention. You could just have him be like a, you know, a waffle waitress or something. And then uh, out of sure. nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I clawed up from the back of a waffle house instead of clawing back up from, <laughs> from, yeah. from, I mean, it's like, like born academy. into, you know, but I, you know, the whole idea of like, you know, being born into luxury and having all this power at your fingertips is that's, yeah. that's demonic as well. Right. Whereas waffle waitresses are brave. Yes. Brave Christians. <laughs> exactly. So, Damien does think to figure out to uh, check out his scalp and look for that 666 uh, birthmark. And he does manage to see it with a couple of mirrors in the in the dorm room bathroom. Yeah, I don't like I don't understand how he was like, well, that's that's probably what this is. I've been yeah. feeling these bumps on my head. It just kind of leaps to him all of a sudden doing that. Mm-hmm. And he he freaks out, freaks out and goes running. And then runs out onto this pier. Lovely shot. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, like, why me? Why? Yeah, runs out the door, down the field, yeah. out onto a dock. Then immediately is okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's okay. Yeah. That's where I was just like, I was waiting for a little bit more self-doubt throughout the entire film because that would have been interesting. Like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm the Antichrist. Like, I want to see a little bit of wrestling with that. And based on the first omen, it being a little classy, you know, I thought that there might be some room for that. But uh, they they just skip right over that. No, we need to focus more on a band playing inside. (laughs) And we need a marching band going down the stairs for a very long time. In the door building, that has to be so noisy. That's all marble. Echoing. Yes. There's so much echoing. Yeah. Yeah. I would be so annoyed, but I would also not be at military school. There you go. They're probably Um, like, this is my jam. Hell yeah. (laughs) Right. Basari, uh, a scientist that we see earlier in the film, he returns from somewhere and then calls yeah. Paul and tells him yeah, he should go to his place. And eventually we find out through long conversation that there were three killings on the land that they were interested in uh, purchasing for Project Famine. I don't know what it's called. I'm just calling it Project Famine. We got to get to the bottom of this, evidently. Yeah, that was that was a running thing for a while was Pissarian and where he is and what's going on with the P-84. And I'm, I don't care. This guy, this kid's the devil. I yeah. don't care about Pissarian. I mean, it's yeah. Alan Arbus, which is that's great. But yeah, I don't know. There was there was just a lot of time spent on this. I do like, though, that that I feel, and maybe I'm just I'm just wrong on this. Did those guys have perms, or was that just how their hair was? Because I don't feel like you see, other than like Justin Timberlake for a little while, I feel like you don't see that kind of that kind of do anymore. Yeah, that's a very seventies. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a perm. Perms are really big back then. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't wake up like that most mornings. <laughs> no, I, I did have a friend in high school though. Um, he was white, but he had an afro. But like. Other than that, like, unless it's like very genetic, I I think it's a perm. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying they went out of their way to look like that. Yeah. 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 That was a yeah. conscious choice. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I salute it. Yeah. Um, Damien and Mark take a bunch of the cadets on a tour of the Thorn plant while Paul is giving a presentation on the future of the business. Again, being famine. He's just laying it out on front yeah. street. Just, again <laughs> and then and everyone in the board is like i don't know about this he's like no trust me guys again just you just sell it slightly different yeah but i but guess he, if you have the power of satan behind you you don't have to yeah and he does say they're there to help the indigenous cultures he does say that at the end of the scene so just trust yeah me. but it's but the way it's there like they must never know that i was like they can't think that we're there for exploitation we're right. there to help which is like just so so don't don't tell them the truth. Right. Make them think that we're there to actually help them. Yeah. Which again, like nice dig at the 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 vile nature of of big corporations and that kind of thing. Sure, but sure. I just wish there was a little bit more there there. 
And I couldn't help but think of the Simpsons where they tour the cardboard box factory. Oh, like, yeah. What is happening to this factory? That's actually that interesting. But these kids are <laughs> seem to be super stoked about it. They're <laughs> so excited to get out of that van and run yeah, into that factory. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's it. like, oh, I just has his credence tape stuck in there. I'm tired of listening to it. <laughs> yeah. But I also, there's a scene where they're coming out of, it's very, it's very strange. And I feel like this is again, like a, a leftover for a bit that, that happens later that we'll talk about. But when they're leaving the elevator in one scene, this one kid's like, isn't there a pesticide that works on sex? That's right. Sex attractants. Pheromones are extracted from one sex, put into traps to uh, attract other insects of the opposite sex and kill them. And then it just moves on to something else. And I think that's supposed to speak larger into that like horror of Babylon thing. Uh, there was also yeah. going to be a, a through line where Damien had like a girlfriend and had to choose between destiny and love, basically. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that was supposed to play on some of the horror of Babylon stuff as well, but it really just is there that's it no it just sounded like teenage boys being like sex pesticides yeah can i can i get this guy to say sex yeah. let's see if i can do it <laughs> i mean did make me laugh because i'd never yeah. heard the phrase sex pesticide before <laughs> so. i've never heard the word sex before so i got a big kick out of it <laughs> right um as you would expect things start going haywire there's nothing specific going on uh, in the buildup, but you just know like something bad is going to happen in this moment if Damien and a bunch of kids are in a chemical factory, which of course yeah. it does. This P84 whatever starts uh, popping off, filling the room with toxic smoke and everybody's running around in chaos. It ends up taking down one poor worker and then it claims the life and face of Basari, who falls to yeah. his death. So rip that guy. When they did this kill, though, and like a couple of the other ones towards the end, I was like, because I was waiting for the crow, because the crow was like, oh, crow, death. And I was like, how are they going to do this inside? inside? But they just don't even acknowledge that the crow is there. Crow's then, like there. A, a guy with a clipboard and a hard hat <laughs> looks up. It's the crow. Yeah. Just a small little like perched on a, on a banister. And <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But instead, in lieu of that, Paul yeah. just locks eyes with Damien. Yeah. yeah, inside, and that's it. Yeah, because nothing, ha like all the kids are, are coughing and, and wheezing, not Damien. Nope. And as we find out over the next couple of scenes, a bunch of the boys were affected, all of them, except for Damien, who's very fine. Uh, they try to run some tests on him. They re He refuses, and he leans back in his pe uh, pillow with a very self-satisfied look on his face, like, yep, toxic smoke ain't got nothing on me. I'm fine. Nope. Yeah. Because the, the doctor, played by uh, Bishak Taylor, a lot of people might know as uh, Hollywood Montrose from from uh, Mannequin. A lot, <laughs> lot less stylish in this. Hey, right. um, also from Designing Women, if anyone my age is listening. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's the doctor. He wants to do tests. And and Thorne is like, yeah, can't we just take him home? I know, you know, just come. We'll come back next week and do mm -hmm. it. He'll he'll have the same blood then. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the doctor's like, fine, whatever. Yeah, but. Then, you know, I, I I do always love a shot of a scientist in a late night lab where the camera pans around. Yeah. And, and you someone just, was working in the lab late one night. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know that something bad is going to happen. The only thing lacking in this scene was him eating a sandwich. But, you know, I will right. overlook yeah. that <laughs> for the moment. Um, he finds out that Damien has jackal in his blood. And I will admit, I did not see this coming because... In the first film, I kind of took it as this like metaphor almost, like not specifically Jackal. They went right. for the science of this, and yeah. he has Jackal in his blood, yeah. which was pretty impressive. Um, and then I noticed that I was typing Jackal with a Y 
and, and <laughs> like the old metal band. And yeah, I was like, like I'm a lumberjack, baby. Yeah, I had to, uh, I had to double check how you spelled jackal, and it is with an A. Uh, it's with an A, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, I like that 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 they did bother to to have him be like, well, he's got jackal stuff in his blood, but it's not like he has jackal powers. He right. doesn't become like Puma Man or right, anything. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, so. No yeah, so Dr. Powers. Kane is like, I gotta, I gotta tell someone about this. This is crazy. Gets in a giant elevator. This very ominous looking, like just the yeah. building is like with the with the red paint or whatever, and this big steel elevator mm-hmm. in the middle. It's like, well, uh-huh. it's great. This is this is not gonna go well. No, I was like, he should have took the stairs. Just uh-huh. take the stairs. <laughs> just take the stairs. <laughs> it's there's three floors in this building. <laughs> yeah. take the stairs. You're going down, you're going with gravity. It's fine. <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be okay, buddy. Um he does take the elevator, and I was like, no joke, not just because about what's about to happen. I was thinking to myself, like, kind of looking at my watch, just like, we're about due for a good, like, sheep plate of glass gore shot. <laughs> like, you know, like something that kind of takes glass it. Glass o'clock. Yeah, Let's yeah go. something that takes it up just a little bit of a notch. I, I like all the kills in this movie. Um, maybe it was just like the previous ones. It was just like guys falling off of rails with gas in their face. But I was like... <laughs> The Omen should have one real good one. And boy, does it. Because yeah. <laughs> the elevator starts falling, and I thought, that's just not quite enough. And they must have heard me, because <laughs> a, uh, a steel elevator cord comes rip-roaring right back down the shaft and full-on bisects the poor guy in half Oof, going right yeah. through. And yeah. for 1978, man, I was impressed that they yeah. that they went there you know yeah and they 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 i mean this was their big one because they spend a lot of time with it and, mm-hmm. and it's it's paced very similar to the way that like a final destination one is paced because it's the elevator starts plummeting yeah uh he's like oh my god but then he survives and then the cable snaps and the things come down and then yeah he's in a showered with glass and slow motion uh-huh. and, yeah that's like yeah. a like a crest of a wave like coming over yes. him with all this glass <laughs> <Yes>. mm-hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> But oh gosh! I I was impressed. I I didn't think they had it in in them in 1978 to cut a poor man in half, but uh, they did. I mean, not for this kind of movie. Um, That's true. But it's yeah. also that so the next day there's you know a headline that he was killed in a freak accident, and I think the idea is supposed to be happening now that that Richard Thorne is starting to be like, boy, there's a lot of deaths happening. Like she had already, uh, uh, Joan Hart had already told him that all these freak accidents have been happening with, with people. And he's like, ah, get out of here. But now he's starting to maybe piece it together. But again, this is, I think a piece that kind of gets overlooked because later when he's just like, no, it's totally Damien. It seems a little bit more out of left field. Yeah. I was a little bit bummed because I, I loved the gag. Well, it's not a gag, but I took it as that in the first film where there is a photo of the priest staked to the ground on the, on the, yes. <laughs> in the newspaper. Yeah. So in yes. this one, it was just headline instead of like a shot of him bisected in the elevator. Yeah, they used a classy photo of the guy and not like his torso <laughs> just in half. Right. Um, he made it halfway to his destination. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't get there. Cut short. (laughs) Right. Um, Evidently, again, uh, Damien doesn't need to be present for these kind of things. Was this by Mm -hmm. Damien? Was it another satanic force? It's just that kind of like in between, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I guess much like the cave in the beginning, he wasn't present for that. Charles shows up at the museum uh, where I guess they keep priceless artifacts right next to a boiler room. <laughs> Comes into play later, obviously, but yeah. my goodness, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, 
budget cuts. Boilers I don't were a know. lot bigger in the seventies. They <laughs> they took up floors of buildings, and so there was a little bit that still peaked up. Yes. Anyway, he opens and unwraps the ceremonial daggers from the first movie, and uh, inside is a newspaper and some journals and a letter, and we presume this is Carl's chest from the beginning, um, mm-hmm. and somehow made it to him before he died. Yeah, and this this convinces him that, that, that yeah, that, that this Bugenhagen stuff, the stuff that Joan Hart was saying was correct. He goes to try to talk to, to Richard about it. Do you know what movie they're watching? I do not. In that scene? Do you, J- Jolene? Do you I know? I have no I, idea. I have no idea what that was. It's got to have the ending, Something charming about a horse. <laughs> yeah. Didn't know if it was like My Friend Flicker or something. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was very, uh, it was cute. I don't know. I wanted to watch it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and this is, this. I thought this was kind of interesting because you have Anne Thorne, like, and Damien, like, coddling, you know, hanging out on the couch. Like, she's she's hugging him and stuff. And meanwhile, Mark is up in the projection booth. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I, I also just enjoy that they're watching a home movie that is filmed, you know, like you don't yeah. really think about that. Like, hey. oh, no, it's just it's it's streaming. Hey, physical media forever. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> they're so hardcore that they've got reel to reel in their house. <laughs> For a Warren is, is the guy at the museum shows up and is, and is talking to Richard about how five unexplained horrible accidents, according to Bugenhagen, who was obviously insane. I know how it sounds. And you believe it. Read his letter yourself. I will not read the ravings of a senile old man. Richard, I knew Bugenhagen. He wasn't senile. If what he says is true, we are all in great danger. Mark overhears it and is like, oh, yeah, no, he's probably right because Damien is weird. Uh, yeah. I saw him psychic a dude. Right. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Um, Mark overhears the whole thing. He goes straight to bed in his powder, powder blue jammies, uh, much like I do every night. And he mm-hmm. reads Revelations, <laughs> which is <laughs> just kind of adorable. That disposition <laughs> of the two of them. Um Damien trudges around in the snow while Richard shares uh, the letter with Anne. He's Damien's looking for Mark for some reason. We don't really, I didn't really pick up on why he's chasing after him. And uh, Mark finally puts it all together and just says, I've seen what you can do. Your father tried to kill you. They say he was crazy, but it was because he knew. I love you, Mark. You're like my brother. No, no. You are my brother. And you mean more to me than the beast has no brother. Mark knows that he's born of a jackal. So one person does know somehow. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure exactly how, but whatever. Uh, they get into an argument here and uh, Damien kills him by giving him an aneurysm, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for a second, for a half second, of course, you kind of know what's coming. I was hoping for a scanner moment, but I guess that would be a little <laughs> bit too much <laughs> for yeah, this movie. It's, it's a little like, I, I can understand maybe wanting to, cause he's, he's growing into his powers. Maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be you know full fledged, but for his, for his, how um, ornate some of these other kills are with like yeah. all these different, you know, machinations, or whatever. This one's just sort of like, that's it. Well, he loves Mark. Yeah. I, and he, I guess yeah, that's true. You do see him grapple with it. Cause he's like, I don't want to kill you. You're like my brother. Yeah. But then, and I like that the whole exchange is happening while Marcus hugging a tree. Like yes. he's running away and decides to hug the tree and uh-huh. tell him all this information. Right. And then he lets go and then he gives him the aneurysm. Yeah. Nature nature kept him safe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I, I did buy his performance yeah. in the, in this mm-hmm. moment. Like I did buy this relationship between them. And I, I suppose, you know, instead of a grand grignol death scene, he lets him off with a simple poke in the brain. Yeah. Still seems pretty painful. Yes. He, yeah. he goes down screaming. Yeah, I don't want it. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I don't <laughs> recommend an aneurysm. If you're out right. there and you want to get an aneurysm, don't, don't do it. Don't no. do it. That's the firm stance of this podcast. Right. 
Also, how big is their property? Because as Mark is walking away from the house, do you see like guest house, guest house, guest house? Oh, goodness. And then, yeah. and then he goes into the woods. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess they are like, you know, million dollar donors yeah. to, uh, yeah. to, I mean, uh, I, I hate to credit that was clearly servants quarters. So yeah. only a couple <laughs> right. of guest houses. There you oh, go. Yeah. Um, just to go. fact check. Yeah. No, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. A crap ton of land and a crap yeah. ton of property. At Mark's funeral. There's a whole lot of glancing going on between Lance and Paul and Damien. Uh, just three uh-huh. eyes just darting back and forth. Like, More like Glance Henriksen. Glance Henriksen, yeah. <laughs> uh, Richard leaves New York the next day on business. He is needed by someone. And do we know who he is needed by in this moment? Because unless I just missed it. Yeah, I think Warren, yeah, from the museum said, no, no, we need to go because the, the wall is coming to JFK airport before yeah. it comes to this museum. Got it. So I want you to meet me there. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to go to New York. He said that like a few scenes back. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Which is which is funny because Joan uh, earlier when she's confronting them in the, in the museum is like, I've seen you Gail's wall. And Warren's like, who cares? You, you're yeah. all about you. Yeah. But uh, now that he's convinced he's all about, he's back to being all about you. Yeah. Right. He lands and uh, goes straight to a church where a reverend takes him to see uh, Charles, who is completely terrified and yelling about how he's seen the wall and he's seen Damien's face on the wall. So instead of waiting for Richard to get there and they go at the same time, uh, he, he, he had to take a peek early on and it kind of drove him half mad by seeing yeah. Damien's face. I want a whole movie about that Reverend, Reverend Weston, because that guy's voice is such a hug. Reverend Weston? Yes, may I help you? I'm Richard Thorne. Oh, Mr. Thorne, I'm so glad you could come. Come this way, please. I want to thank you for calling me here. Can you tell me what's wrong with him? He refuses to speak to me. All I can tell you is that he's absolutely terrified. Oh, I like you. No one's going to get decapitated. I also want to know where they shot this scene because... Um, I, I read that they only shot in Chicago and Wisconsin, mm-hmm. but when the taxi pulls up, that really looks like Cabrini Green from the first Candyman, that area. Oh, oh interesting. So I, I wonder if those are the same buildings. Areas, it it, it looks like Chicago, the same area. Right. Yeah. Like Chicago being New York. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know that I know people have talked about and I did not see it, but apparently in the train scene, like when there's a shipyard that you can, or the train yard that you can see the Sears tower in the distance. Oh, oh I, did not, okay. I did not look yeah. for it. But. Yeah. Um, Charles and Richard go to the uh, loading dock to investigate where everything is being brought inside of a uh, box car. Uh, the train car starts moving along. And uh, of course he finds the wall with Damien's face on the inside. Who's now a teenager on the wall. <laughs> teenager. And I didn't pick that up, but that makes total sense. And I, and I actually really dig that idea. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, the tracks suddenly switch and a car picks up Charles and impales him on the car that Richard is inside. And I had, to, I had to rewind this a couple of times. I mean, I knew what they were going for, but it was a little bit kind of wonky to see how it was all like kind of cut together. Well, but yeah, like who was the geography of where everyone was? That was uh-huh. what it was, yeah. Yeah, because I couldn't tell, like, is someone in the, the caboose? Yeah, like, is the train connected to anything when the, when the uh, engine starts? Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure that out, but yeah. Yeah, so he's he's fine. He falls down and the, and the wall falls on him and cracks and is turned to dust, but yeah. he's, so, he's okay. But yeah, Warren is uh, is crushed. Yeah. I guess gushed. Gushed. Did we figure out because it's, yeah, because it's two things coming Smushed, together. Yeah. <laughs> coming together that way. Yeah. 
we had this discussion during saw whether whether it's like smushed versus gushed i think it was like two things coming together is this smush mm-hmm. i don't remember yeah. i'd have to go back and listen gushed I'm not is about to one thing going down on i think gushed else. is one thing going down i think <laughs> yeah. smushed is two things so he got smushed yes i love that yeah <laughs> it's important distinctions yeah a ceremony is held and Damien is given a saber for exemplary service or some shit because we've never seen right. him do any sort of exemplary <laughs> yeah. service for this military academy. But he is the marching. youngest person in that lineup, too. Yes. Yeah. Well, all those other kids are like men. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's it. And he just gets a cool devil sword. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From here on but out. lay low. <laughs> but here's right. an award for being the best little man. Yeah. Um, I, this did crack me up because we cut to uh, a party that I suppose is commemorating Damien. He's walking around with two <laughs> teen girls, yeah. one on each arm, just being all Bruce Wayne walking around like that. Yeah, it's it, just, it felt like like the girls camp is coming over. Like, yeah, I don't know who these who these young girls are, but there's just like a cotillion party with everybody. Right. And then he sits down and I don't know what those chairs are called where they're like, there's a centerpiece, but they're all like around it. Oh, a a poof. That's what it's called. Yeah. Wow. Um, but then like when he sits down, another girl sitting there like is like, oh hey. And yeah. she like pops up over the top. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he like is like, excuse me, ladies, I have to go. And they're like, oh. <laughs> but again, like, I don't want to get into like where where are these young girls from? Do they like cart them into the military academy yeah, party? Like, ew. Like <laughs> they're at the they're at the lady military, the separate <laughs> woman military. <laughs> right. The Florence Nightingale School. Yes. I like to imagine that the guy she was initially sitting by, like, turns like, okay, now as I was saying about Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> right. Richard and Anne uh, go to the museum and Richard is trying to convince her that it's all finally true. Uh, They look for the daggers in the kind of office space and then Richard delivers so intensely. Boy has got to die. Finally, he's committed to the bit. Yes, Uh, it's going to happen. Richard is digging around for the daggers and won't let him have them. Uh, She keeps guarding the desk. Uh, He's demanding them. Finally... She grabs them, whips around, stabs him in the gut. There are your daggers. I've always belonged to him. Now, did you see this coming? I admit, I didn't on the first watch through. I didn't. I, as she was going to end up being the horror Babylon because they made such a big deal out of it at mm-hmm. the beginning. And like, they kept coming back to that statue. And then, like I said, they kept cutting to her. But yeah, there was nothing in the interim. They just kind of forgot it. And she was supposed to have more of a, a role when it was a fighting between, like I said, the love and destiny piece. And you were also supposed to see him get more and more upset with her doting on him. Oh, interesting. Which doesn't happen because that's part of the thing too, is that the, they grow to hate the, the, the horror Babylon and then they burn her and devour her flesh. That doesn't happen. There's just the, there's just the burning. Right. Because yeah, she's just out of, she's just seemingly out of nowhere is like, Mm -hmm. Nope, I've been with him the entire time. So again, a very sort of like saw like ending. We're like, "Uh, I guess it's you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You're, you're also in on it. And then the the boiler, like I think Damien makes the boiler that's blow up. How, that's what the he comes to the I museum got. and just kind of makes a face, and then she gets set on fire. Yeah, Damien is outside. I, I my heart wept for all the other artifacts that were blown up in yeah. that area too. I mean, not yeah, yeah. not just all <gasps> the satanic stuff, but my my gosh, like old museum stuff. Oh my gosh, me too. Yeah. Yes. Like, there was like an Egyptian like cartouche and there was paperwork and Yeah, again, don't put your thing right next to the boiler room, yeah. but you know, mm-hmm. here we are. That's the main takeaway. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Damien walks outside, <laughs> and much like the first film, uh, our final shot is a freeze frame on Damien looking at his uh, limo driver, I suppose, uh, in full military outfit with his little his cute little cap on in the freeze frame, and that's and it. Then, yeah, and you get you get a Bible verse that doesn't seem like it's related to much. Yeah, I I I, I meant to look that up. I did not. I didn't know what the context of that was necessarily. Especially yeah, it made after, it sound like that there are people pretending to be good, but they're actually with the devil. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, yeah, that happened, but yeah, just the mom, is that, I guess. Yeah, like that wasn't really that didn't have the oomph to, mm-hmm. to underline that at the end, but whatever. But uh before we get into our final thoughts, uh higher body count. Yes. Michael Morgan, played by Ian Hendry, buried alive in ruins. Carl Bugenhagen, played by Leo McKern, buried alive in ruins. Aunt Marion, played by Sylvia Sidney, heart attack when startled by Crow. Joan Hart, played by Elizabeth Shepard, eyes pecked out by Crow, hit by truck. Bill Atherton, played by Lou Ayers, drowned in frozen lake. Plant worker, played by James Spinks, suffocated by toxic gas. Dr. David Passarian, played by Alan Arbus, suffocated by toxic gas. Dr. Kane, played by Meshach Taylor, cut in half by falling elevator cable. Mark Thorne, played by Lucas Donut, aneurysm caused by Damien. Dr. Charles Warren, played by Nicholas Pryor, crushed to death between two railway cars. Richard Thorne, played by William Holden, stabbed with ritual daggers by Anne. Anne Thorne, played by Lee Grant, burned to death by boiler room explosion. So yeah, uh, I thought not a bad follow-up. We did get a little wacky, uh, which I'm always a fan of. Um, I could have used a little less of the corporate stuff, but um, I was still pretty darn entertained throughout this entire thing. I I, I don't think I liked it as much as the first one, but I still like the really somber feeling, and man, I love that Goldstein score quite a bit. The redo theme I I like. It's it's a lot funkier, and it it seems like like the devil should be solving mysteries in like a British village or something. (laughs) Um, But the, yeah, I I think it's a lot of peaks and valleys for me when it's big and ridiculous. I really like it, but it's, it needs a lot more or, you know, lacked a lot of focus where the first one was all just about Damien and finding out his, his, where he comes from and all this. And this is all just sort of like moving pieces and waiting for everything to come together. Cause you can't really do a mystery again. Cause we know that kid's the devil and the movie definitely doesn't uh, pretend he's not, Mm -hmm. but it's still, yeah, there's just more interaction with Damien with stuff or like, yeah, him deciding to be the devil or like figuring out who he is. They either don't do it or do more with it. Cause that, that little element of it just felt very strange compared to the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel like you said, like the, the mystery's taken out of it. So then my then takeaway was, 
are the other ones then the same formula where people start to figure out and then it's just like a body count and then finally that last moment right. where they're like we're going to kill them and then they die again like that's that's my guess for for yeah the next couple is that that's yeah. just going to be him needing to cover his his butt but we'll see because in the third one he's got he's come to power in theory to some to some extent so does right. he need people to shepherd him around as much to protect him but i have a feeling you're right though that that's absolutely what it's going to be yeah. Mm. And I was thinking about just, you know, the title of the movie being The Omen. So, you know, an omen is like something that is uh, predicting, for lack of, mm -hmm. of a better word. And in the first film, you know, we had the photographs. I'm not saying I wanted photographs again because in this movie, but there was no sense of like, I, I, I just thought that that added such a great sense of foreboding to this. This omen sequel is lacking any omens. <laughs> like where okay, yeah. you have the crow and oh, then they there, dropped yeah, it. That's like true. Halfway through the Croman. The Croman. So, yeah. The yeah. Crow. <laughs> but yeah, I, cause I think, I mean, basically what it boils down to is that like with a lot of these, um, that just the producer wanted to make more money off of yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause David Seltzer was like, I don't want to know. I don't, I have no envisioning a few, uh, sequel for any of this. I just yep. wrote this first one and that's it. Mm -hmm. And particularly with all his rewrites or whatever, it's just like, well, let's just milk this. Let's yeah. just, it's just the name. We don't need to necessarily yeah. worry about the thematic stuff as much. But I, I, I guess for me, I, I did enjoy the fact that, um, we're getting, and this will probably make more sense whether I like part three or not, but like, I like watching the same character kind of grow up mm. instead of, doing a different son of Satan or, or something like that. I, I like seeing the progression of one character throughout mm. these three or four movies. Yeah. We're going to watch. Yeah. This time it's Satan's nephew. Oh, look out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd say recommend it. And uh, like, it's, I had no idea what to think going into it, but I was weirdly heartened when I just noticed that it was part two was made in 1978. So it was still like kind of in that era of like seventies horror. And it wasn't yeah. like part two coming out in like 1986 and it was a slasher, you know, right. I, I like that. It still feels of a piece with, with the first film. Mm -hmm. um, Damien's on rollerblades. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there is that remake that we'll get to. So that's true. Yeah, we will. well, he'll probably he'll probably be on Heelys in, in that one. That's, <laughs> sure. that's soon enough. <laughs> well, Jolene, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Where can people find your stuff online? I know you do a show as well. Mm -hmm. So I have um, I have my own podcast called Hanging by a Thread. Um, I explore horror, but then I've kind of broadened it as of recently to, to another films because I just want to talk about costumes and movies that you can find me. Um, you can find me through my Instagram on at Jolene Marie underscore designs. And I'm on Twitter at Joe Marie designs. I'm not always on Twitter trying to not be on Twitter yeah. or X now, whatever it's called. But yeah, that's where you can find me. And I will be at CryptCon in May. Um, I'm going out there in Seattle to do some panels out there. Working on stuff right now. Can't talk about it, but it will come out in the fall. So that'll be the rewards are there. What kind of panels are you doing at, at uh, CryptCon? Or do you know yet? Um, so I'm going to be doing a lecture about sort of like a broader history of, of costume and horror movies. And then I think I'm going to do a little bit more focused one. I haven't quite decided where I landed more in line with like some of the lectures that I do um, might be about Hitchcock might be about that. So I haven't quite figured out my topic for that one, but the mm -hmm. broader one is going to be about costume design and history of it in horror movies. Nice. Nice. And John, what is your lecture going to be on at CryptCon? Uh, 
socks in horror movies. <laughs> no, I have no idea. Uh, no one wants to hear me talk about anything. Uh, I, I, I am curious though, what is like, did you have any particular feelings about the fashion in, in this movie? I know it's not necessarily as, as exotic or, you know, um, big costumes or anything like that other than perhaps the red dress, but yeah, no, I loved it. I think, um, with, with films like this, um, specifically in the horror genre too, and what I try to get people in my lectures to kind of like engage and think on is that costume design isn't just fantastical period costumes. That mm-hmm. costume design is, people call it shopping. It's not shopping, but, but it is modern dress. So I think I love 70s fashion. I love what the whole decade was doing and the textures because people were experimenting and men were experimenting with fashions, kind of like what we talked about with the neckerchief. So there's a lot of patterning, a lot of like tweeds and textures and houndstooths and like men weren't afraid to match patterns. Like all of those suits in the office were just like Oh, they were so like lovely to just yeah. well, see. Yeah, there's a scene. I think it's when they're having dinner with Marion where Warren is wearing uh, it's like a gingham print shirt, but like a brown jacket or something like that. And I was like, oh, because I, I associate that a little bit more as a more recent thing. So it was kind of yeah. neat to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's in fashion cycles, which is so cool. So like, it's something that I need to pay more attention to because like I I think the first time I ever really thought about it was I saw sideways with my mom and my mm. mom kept pointing out how like how all ill fitting uh, Paul Giamatti's clothes were. Yeah. How they, they made him look like rumpled and diminished and how, Oh yeah. Oh, totally. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so just paying attention to what that can say about character and stuff like that, rather than just being like, that's a cool shirt. Yeah. yeah. Actually, one of the best examples of something like that is in the movie Midsommar where you're seeing Danny standing next to her friends um, and Christian and all of them. And they're all wearing jeans and Danny's not because her life is in so much of a disarray that her clothing doesn't need any structure oh. to it either. And everybody else has kind of got a little bit together. So they're wearing more structured garments. Right. So, yeah. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, very easy, broad question, but do you have a favorite uh, horror slash costuming, like like your go-to that just feels like a meal every time you, you watch it? Yeah, I mean, Midsommar. I, I love okay. it. And the work that Andrea Fletch did on that movie is is one of my favorites because she was able to have those elements with modern dress. She was able to take all these Scandinavian Nordic traditions and kind of amalgamate them into this haggard cult with the runes and the hand embroidery. And all of the costumes were done um, with like a hundred yards of this old linen that she had found. So every white linen was done from one swath of fabric, which was pretty amazing. So they were uniform. And then of course the flower slug at the end, her husband's an an engineer. So he constructed that specifically for Florence Pugh's body. And so it had this understructure and it had 10,000 hand sewn silk flowers on top. And it's, incredible and it looks so simple but it's such a feat of what she did yeah right gosh yeah i've only watched that once but i i uh, when i rewatch it i will be paying closer attention just because of that for sure and I will never trust anyone in sweaters again. I'm wearing one of my favorite sweaters. Yeah, right I, know, now. I know what you're doing. <laughs> well, with that, um, uh, thanks, Jolene, for coming on. Uh, all our listeners, I hope you uh, enjoyed her. This is why we bring on smarter people than us uh, yeah. to talk about more intense uh, intellectual things than we do instead of making uh, bad jokes about splatting all the time. So I hope you learned something in addition to watching the Omen part two with us. Now, next time 
It's the one that I've been looking forward to. Omen Part 3, Sam Neill as Satan in the presidency. Will I be let down? Will it be, you know, his Sam Neilliest? Um, I'm pretty stoked to get to that one. So I'm, Yeah, I hope it goes even bigger. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for as well. Uh, Jolene, I hope you keep watching along with us because oh, now you've started. And yeah, I can't. I can't stop now. <laughs> this yeah. is the the mantra of this podcast. Now you can't just watch the first one. You've got to watch the entire one and the remake. And yeah. Yeah. Um, so I hope you'll watch along with us, just like everybody else out there. I know a couple of people have already jumped into the Omen Part Two, so I, that always heartens me. So in the meantime, you can find us at This May Hurt a Bit Pod on Instagram. Heard a bit pod on YouTube, and you can email us at this may hurt a bit pod at gmail.com. So, uh, with that, we'll see you next week for the Omen Part Three. Good night. Good night. This has been a Caretaker Press production. It was produced by James Strayer and edited by John C. Myers. Logo by Ethan Kimberling, and music by Michael Arthur Holloway, who you can find on Bandcamp. Follow us on Instagram at This May Hurt a Bit Pod and email us at This May Hurt a Bit Pod at gmail.com. Give us a five star review over on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>